Welcome. We're so glad you've tuned in to the weekly sermon podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia, a dynamic multicultural church near Valley Forge. We want to welcome you into an experience with God and into the care of His family, and we believe this message will be a blessing to you. Today's sermon is a part of our series, Waymaker, Take the Journey with Jesus. God really is, as the song says, our waymaker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness. I believe this message will help you have faith in God for whatever challenges you're facing right now. If there was ever a time where we need to be standing on the promises of God, it is now. This is a timely message to be reminded that God not only makes promises, He keeps His promises. He is a promise keeper. And the Bible is full of amazing promises of God. One of those promises is in Mark chapter 10, beginning with verse 29. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. That's a huge that whatever we give up for Jesus and the gospel, we will receive in this present age 100 times. Absolutely amazing. Now, I do wish Jesus had left the uh, with persecutions part out, but the promises are so great. When I was in seminary, I did a summer missions trip in Mexico City, and I led a young teenage boy by the name of Luis to the Lord. And he became hungry for just more and more and more of an experience with God. He wanted to know God more and more, and I hope that's the case with all of us. And so because of his hunger for God, he just began devouring the Bible. He was reading the Bible every day, and it seems like almost every day. He was coming to me with questions. Now his questions fit a pattern. He would read these amazing promises that Jesus made in the Gospels, and they just seemed so huge, so fantastic that he would come to me and say, the Bible says this, is this true? Did Jesus really mean it? And the answer that I had for them and that I have for you today is yes, the promises are true and Jesus really meant every promise, every one. Now I know a lot of times when we read scriptures, we sometimes entertain a little bit of doubt, a little bit of skepticism. We tend to downplay or try to explain away the promises that Jesus made. After all, we do know of some people who really seem to go overboard with the promises of God, and we label such people as, you know, prosperity doctrine people or name it and claim it kind of people because they're always claiming these big promises of God. And we don't want to be associated with them, at least so our thinking goes. So what we end up doing is distancing ourselves from the promises of God. But here's what we need right now. We need to believe in God and His promises like never before. 
Now is not a time to say, well, the problem's too big and God didn't really mean what he said. He didn't really mean when he said he would send his word and heal our disease. We tend to want to dismiss things because, well, it just seems too impossible. But as we'll see in our scripture today, as we continue, nothing is impossible with God, whether we're talking about human salvation or any other intervention of God here in this world. And right now, we're at a time we need to believe God. We need to believe that what he said he would do, he will do. What he has promised, he will be true to keep that promise. So, Let's trust in God. Now, I do have to admit that sometimes it seems like some prosperity teaching or some followers who can go to extremes uh, get a little bit out of balance. And where I see most of the imbalance is in this. Jesus' promises usually come with some kind of condition. Yep, there are conditions. Jesus didn't just give a blank check that we could use anyhow, any way that we choose. It's not according to our dictates that Jesus fulfills his promises. See, here's one aspect of almost every one of those major promises that sometimes do get taught out of context. Within the context, they're almost always connected to not just some conditions that God puts on us for the sake of putting on conditions, but the promises are related to the mission to which he's called us. The promises are related to our being devoted and committed to the kingdom of God and not just living religious lives, but really seeing God's kingdom advanced here on this earth. And when that is our heart, when we're seeking first God's kingdom and his righteousness, then we can lay claim to the promises that God has made. So here's the two, here are the two problems that we have just illustrated. Number one, we sometimes let ourselves off the hook by lowering our expectations of God. And sometimes we let ourselves off the hook by lowering our expectations of ourselves. And the solution is not to get out of balance on either one of those, but we need to fully believe in God. Don't let yourself off the hook in terms of trusting God for the promises, and don't let yourself off the hook in terms of fulfilling the conditions that God places on so many of the promises. We need both. We need to believe that God is going to move, and we need to believe that, especially during a crisis like this, that the church is going to rise up and advance in kingdom ministry to see God glorified and to see many people brought into a relationship with God and into the care of God's family. Mark chapter 10, the passage that we've already read, makes a huge promise, and it's a promise related to multiplication, that if you give up houses and friends and family and feels that you're going to get a hundred times back in this lifetime. And, uh, you know, that reveals a principle that we've seen in the Gospel of Mark before, and that is the principle of multiplication. We saw it when we looked at the feeding of the 4,000. Jesus took some loaves and broke those and then distributed them, and just a few loaves fed 4,000. And prior to that, there was the feeding of the 5,000. And in both of those cases, uh, Jesus did such a great miracle of more than enough of 
expanded multiplication that there were leftovers so that in one case they picked up 12 basketfuls and in the other case they picked up seven basketfuls of leftover bread and so our God is a God of multiplication he multiplies things back into us and we can expect God to do that 100 times of what we give up for him and for the gospel we can expect back in this lifetime and in the age to come eternal life that is what we can expect from jesus and i encourage you expect that from god let's expect and believe the promise of god like never before let's stand on the promises like we have never done in our lives because i do believe we are on the verge of one of the greatest expansions of the kingdom of god in our lifetimes so that's what we can expect from god but what should we expect from ourselves? I said most of such expansive promises do come with some conditions generally related to our devotion to the expansion of the kingdom of God, our willingness to follow Jesus, our willingness to be at his disposal. Is this passage any different? Let's see. Let's look at the fuller context, beginning with Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Let's pause with the first verse here. As Jesus started on his way, we're doing a series, Waymaker. Jesus makes a way for us, but we also make a way for him. And the Gospel of Mark also includes an invitation for us to be on the way with Jesus, a recurring theme in the Gospel of Mark, and this is no different. And Jesus is on the way where? He's on the way to fulfill his mission of sacrificing his life on a cross in Jerusalem. So Jesus here is on his way to die. In fact, following this passage, he makes another prediction that he will be soon put to death on a cross. So Jesus is on the way. Does he invite us to be on the way with him? Let's see if that's the case in this passage. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now, I've heard people say, well, that means Jesus didn't claim to be God. No, Jesus is claiming to be God. He is the good teacher, and he's uh, rightly saying that no one is good in that full sense except God alone, and Jesus is God. Jesus is good. Verse 19, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. I think that's amazing. One thing you lack, he said. He loved him, but he didn't pull any punches, did he? One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. Follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Jesus is raising up 
an impossible situation. This is not something that we can explain away as a camel going through a small gate that can barely fit through. This is a camel going through the eye of a sewing needle, and it is an impossibility. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Wow. The disciples were even more amazed because they thought certainly somebody who's religious and who shows the obvious blessings of God of riches must be saved or savable at least. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible. So it is an impossible situation that Jesus is describing. It is impossible. Our, our salvation, however rich or poor we are, is a human impossibility, by the way. But nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible, not with God. All things are possible with God. Then Peter spoke up. We've left everything to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel, notice that, for me in the gospel, will fail, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. So, what can we expect of God? A hundredfold. One hundred times. What you give up, God will multiply back, just like he did with the loaves and fishes. But then, what does this passage tell us to expect of ourselves? Number one, we should expect that when Jesus asks us for something, that we are not going to be afraid to give it over to him. And let me just, just say, Jesus is asking for something. He's not necessarily asking for you to sell everything and give it to the poor to follow him. This is a very unique situation that Jesus didn't repeat with everybody. And we see in the ongoing story of Jesus' work and the ministry in the church that people still had personal or private possessions. So you don't have to sell everything to become a follower of Jesus. But we have to be willing to give him anything that he asked for. He asked for our love. He asked for our service. He asked for our commitment. He asked for our time. He does ask for part of our money. He asked for us to make sacrifices for him and for the kingdom. That's why he says there will be some persecution along with us. It will be a costly endeavor in some sense as we anticipate the 100 fold multiplied back into us. So what's it going to cost us? What is Jesus asking of us? We need to be willing to give it. When I was in college, I was nominated to be president of my fraternity. And I was the only active follower of Jesus, so that was a little bit ironic since in the eyes of most of the fraternity brothers, the primary job of the president is to make sure that we can put on some great parties. You know, that's, that's what they were interested in. And uh, yet I had a different idea, different agenda. And I have to admit, I was a little bit flattered to be nominated. It, it, it felt good to have my leadership acknowledged. It was good for my ego, I guess you could say. 
But like I said, I was a follower of Jesus. I was brand new at it. And I had this uneasy feeling. I, I just felt like I was not supposed to allow myself to be nominated as president of that fraternity. Not because of a conflict of interest. I just felt like God was saying, no, I have something else for you. I don't want you to take this. And yet I, when I went for counsel, and it's always good to go for wise counsel and people that are respected thought, Ed, that's a great opportunity. It'll, my mentor, my spiritual mentor who I trusted so much said, Ed, it'll, it'll look great on your resume. And what college student doesn't need something that looks great on their resume for a future job, perhaps? And he also said, it'll be a wonderful platform for your witness on that campus. You know, a Christian fraternity president. It's going to be great for your witness. And yet I still felt uneasy. In fact, I was so uneasy, I asked God for a sign. I don't know if you're supposed to ask God for signs, uh, but I asked God for a sign, and I asked for something very specific so that when I saw it, I would just know that God was saying, don't be fraternity president. And so I asked God to have somebody pray, spray paint something white or paint something white on the front door of our fraternity house. It's kind of silly, isn't it? Well, the sign didn't come, at least uh, not in time. And I let my name go forward, and sure enough, I was elected as president of Phi Kappa Tau. And can I just say, man, it, it didn't just go as well as I thought it should have, because I had an agenda, and my fraternity brothers had an agenda, and they didn't line up. And they were looking for me to put on good parties, good enough to maybe attract a few pledges, and mo mostly just for them to have a lot of fun. And I had this idea that this fraternity, known as the druggy fraternity, Phi Kappa Tau, we called ourselves High Taws, uh, would get things turned around. I just, just believed that this was going to turn around through my efforts, and it ended up being a lot of my own human effort, and that just led to a whole lot of frustration on the part of everybody involved. It really was a bad witness. And I think I would have been a lot better witness had I just continued to be a fraternity brother who cared about them enough not to try to change the whole direction of the organization, but just to love people and care for people. So if that's what happened, why didn't I withdraw? If I had such a strong feeling, and looking back on it, I, I do believe it was God saying, don't do this. Why did I go through with it, besides the, the counsel that I received? What, what was in me with, that motivated me to let my name go forward and to get myself elected as president of my fraternity? I think the number one thing was I was attracted by the status. I mean, to be the president of one of six fraternities on campus, and, you know, I was excited about the idea that I could put that on my resume, and uh, I thought it was a great leadership opportunity as well. And here's the biggie the fraternity presidents got to live on the first floor of the fraternity house and the the room for the fraternity president was absolutely fantastic compared with every other room in that dormitory so you know i didn't want to give that up as it turned out i don't know if all those things that i was uh unwilling to give up really amounted to that much i don't know how much status there was in being a fraternity president i don't know that it really helped me with uh, my resume. I know it didn't make any difference in getting into the seminary that I attended, and it probably didn't make much difference in getting me my first ministry job, and probably not any difference in getting the job I got here 
27 years ago. Um, and as far as developing my leadership or having my leadership recognize you, you know what I found out? That a lot of my fraternity brothers voted for, for me, not because of my great leadership abilities, but because I had the loudest, most powerful stereo, and they needed that on the first floor of the fraternity house so that we could have loud music for our parties. Hmm, so much for that. Now, I just downplayed everything that I could possibly have sacrificed, but at the time it didn't seem that it was a small thing, and I didn't sacrifice it. But it could be that right now Jesus is asking you for something that, that really does mean something. Sacrifice that costs us nothing is not a sacrifice. Could be your status, some privilege that you have, wealth, safety, comfort. Here's the thing we know. When we perhaps fear giving up any of those things, giving up what Jesus asks, Jesus will be true to his promise. 100 times in this present age and in the age to come, eternal life. He will be true to his promise. You'll receive much more than you give up. That's the lesson of the multiplication of the loaves and fishes, and that's the lesson from this passage. It's the way God works. What you give up, he will multiply back to you. If you want to lose your life, or if you really want to find your life, I should say, you have to lose your life, he said earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He's going to be faithful. He's going to give you life. He's going to give you an abundance that blows away anything that we have possibly lost for the sake of the kingdom of God. It's absolutely amazing. Now, does that mean that, oh, you can count on 100 fields, 100 of everything? And notice sometimes we just lock in on the fields when Jesus said you're also going to receive 100 times of family, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers. What's he talking about there? The family of God. We, we get a whole big family that's much, much bigger and much more tightly bound because it's eternally bound than even our nuclear families, our blood families here on earth. And that's another teaching, but that's affirmed elsewhere in Scripture as well. We receive a hundred times. When we're followers of Jesus, we have a hundred times and even more family. And here's the thing. You might not have a hundred fields, but out of all your church family, there are a hundred fields. And since we belong to each other and all we have belongs to us together, God's multiplied it back. And I hope that's not an explaining away to cause you to think less of what God's going to do because he is going to multiply it back to you in ways that go far beyond what we could count in money or land or anything else. God wants to do amazing things. And here's what I believe. As we make ourselves available to our family and our houses, our lands, and everything else that Jesus might ask for, we're going to receive a hundred times back, and a lot of that will just be in practical help as we love and serve each other, serve each other in the body of Christ, and in a time like this, make doubly sure that we're serving people out in the world and demonstrating the love of Christ. God's going to pay us back in that gospel work a hundred times, and some of that, it will be very natural, but I believe that it's going to be very supernatural, and as the church rises up to be the church, to love and serve one another, we're not just hiding behind 
screens right now we are available and connecting to each other and as we serve each other in very practical ways whether online or in person we can expect the supernatural power of God he is a promise keeper and he's going to do what he said he would do so whatever Jesus asks give it to him that's a condition that we surely see in this passage also please follow him if he says follow me follow him I think sometimes we got to hold back because well what does that mean you know especially if we know that Jesus is on the way to Jerusalem he's on his way to crucifixion see here's the thing when Jesus says follow him he's wanting to lead us to our purpose and to our destiny and we can't let things hold us back we can't let stuff hold us back whether good things or bad things whether our riches or our comfort or whether the sins that we like to hang on to don't let anything stop you from following Jesus and whatever you have to unloose yourself from to follow him please do it because he's not just trying to mess up your life and make it difficult for the sake of making it difficult he's not asking for sacrifice just for the sake of sacrifice there is a purpose behind whatever Jesus asks of you and there's a purpose behind his call for you to follow him he's not just asking you to give up stuff just to give up stuff he's not asking you just to give up beets because you know you got to have something to give up for Lent and I'm certainly with giving up beets for Lent and he's not just trying to spoil your fun so many people just see God as somebody who's trying to spoil our fun follow me because you know I want to make things miserable for you no that's not the way God works that's not what is involved in receiving the promises that Jesus is making right here when I first became pastor here had a young man who came and visited me and he was just in despair he was distraught and to marry God wants me to marry this particular girl and I think I'm going in and out sorry folks listening he said God wants me to marry a particular person a particular girl and I said well what's wrong with that he said well I don't like her he had never dated her he was repulsed by her to be honest he just really was horrified by the idea that now God wanted him to marry this girl now ask him how, how do you know that God wants you to marry her and you know you expect especially in our world the charismatic world oh I got a word from God or somebody told me that God told them that I was supposed to marry this girl we kind of hear those things uh, more often than we should and uh, I thought, well, maybe somebody gave him that kind of word. But no, he hadn't heard from God. He hadn't heard from anybody else. So how do you know that God wants you to marry her? And his response was this, because I don't want to. What, I asked? Yeah, because I don't want to. I said, are you saying then because you don't want to, that mean God, means God wants you to? <laughs> and, you know, by that line of thinking, by that way of reasoning, then anything you want to do God doesn't want you to do but anything you don't want to do God does want you to do why because in his mind God simply wanted to hold back and to keep him from really enjoying life and that's not the way God leads us and guides us 
God is really offering you something. On the other side of giving up whatever that you're giving up, there's an offer. And I believe it goes far beyond just 100 times as much, getting something back into our lives like that. I believe there is a destiny involved. There's a purpose that brings fulfillment and satisfaction and joy, treasures in heaven like we never could imagine. Now I think about the destiny of this young man and the likelihood, the possibility at least, that he missed his destiny. He missed it. And, you know, think about the invitation that Jesus issued to him. Follow me. If you've read the Gospels, have you heard that before? Yeah, you've heard it before in Mark, if you read the first few chapters. Twice, Jesus says to individuals, follow me. Both times were an invitation to apostleship. One time after that, he says to the whole crowd, you have to pick up your cross daily and follow me. But two out of those three times, it's a call to apostleship. And I don't know that this man would have been an apostle. Some people even speculate that this call to follow me and this idea of apostleship could be an indication that this was Saul who later became the apostle Paul. That's pure speculation. There's nothing in scripture that would enable us to conclude that some people also speculate and this is a whole lot more of a speculation that the man who walked away sad whom Jesus loved was Mark who became uh, an associate of the apostle Paul and of Peter and who's writing this particular gospel we don't know we have no idea and that means we don't have any idea of what this young man possibly gave up but I'll tell you what, whatever Jesus had in store for him at the end of that pathway of following him was something absolutely amazing. Amazing. So he's asking us to say yes, whatever he asks of us, and to follow him, to be obedient in that. He's also asking us to be concerned beyond our own little circle. And that it's really true of religious people. This man was not an immoral person. When Jesus listed all those commandments, which are from the Ten Commandments, he said, I've kept every one. And, and Jesus didn't argue with him. Jesus looked at him and loved him. He was a moral, religious person. But Jesus left out one of the commandments that has to do with our relationship with other people. The one that he left out, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. Now, usually we think of coveting as wanting something that doesn't belong to us. But in this case, Jesus is pointing to something that belonged to the man, but that he should have been giving to others. So maybe coveting is not just wanting something somebody else has for ourselves, but hanging on to something for ourselves when God wants us to give it to somebody else. That's a very strong likelihood of what's going on. So this man was loving to his family. He honored his mother and father, but he had a tight circle. And he didn't want to expand the distribution of his, re of his resources beyond that tight circle. Folks, we cannot draw our circles too tightly. 
And right now, just the physical nature of the battle that we're in fighting coronavirus, it, it causes us, it requires us, physically speaking, to draw some tight circles around ourselves. But I want to encourage you not to draw a tight circle around yourself spiritually or financially or any other way. The work of the kingdom of God goes on in every respect through our giving, through our serving. Don't isolate yourself spiritually. And we can connect digitally just like I'm connecting with you right now. You can connect with other people. Expand your circle. Make phone calls. Call the people in your life group. Send texts or messages. Whatever is your preferred means of electronic communication. Engage in that right now for the glory of God and for the blessing of those people. I had been inviting my barber to our big day of service, March 28th, which has transformed a little bit. And, you know, we're not able to do that in the same way now, but I've still been able to reach out to him and to maintain contact with him. And just, you know, how you're doing speaks volumes about our care and our love. Volunteers are still needed. Right now, there's a need for volunteers to deliver food to senior citizen Nor citizens in Norristown. And you can go on our website, www.getvictory.net slash Big Serve, and you can see a lot of service opportunities. You heard about that earlier in our ministry time here today, and let me just repeat it. GetVictory.net slash Big Serve, and you can see a number of opportunities, and as you share opportunities with us, we'll be adding to that list because now church is the time for us to rise up and expand our circle of care and believe that God's laying the groundwork for another great spiritual awakening and when this coronavirus threat is over I believe you're going to see an expansion you're not, you're not going to see what we saw after 9-11-2001 where there was a short expansion of people going back to church but it very quickly withered and attendance dropped within a few months after 9-11. No, we, we need to believe for expanding our circles, and that means we need to be a part of the solution now. As we do what we can do, God will do what only He can do. As we put our loaves in His hands, as we give to Him what He's asking, He'll multiply it back. He'll multiply it back many, many times. Now, concern for others all by itself serving, giving money, anything like that does not by itself buy us salvation. It doesn't buy you eternal life. But it is part of our salvation. It's a part of our eternal life. Notice that the, the man asked Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus rattled off all these commandments. And then he said, one thing you like. One thing. Not multiple things, one thing. But then he listed multiple things. Why are they one thing? Because they belong together. Give to the poor. Sell what you have, give to the poor, and then come follow me. See, without the component of following Jesus, without that component, there's no eternal life. We can give, we can serve, we can do good things, but ultimately the call to your destiny, to the blessings of God, that call is a call to follow Jesus. Will you follow him? Will you serve him? Will you give him 
whatever he asks of you. And Luke, there's a story of another rich man whose story ends up quite differently. That man was Zacchaeus. He was a very wealthy tax collector. He had cheated a whole lot of people. And when Jesus came to his house, he was so touched by Jesus, so drawn to Jesus, he became a follower of Jesus right then and there. And the indication of that was this. He said, if I've stolen anything from anybody, I'm going to pay it back four times. And half of my wealth, half of it, I give to the poor. Do you know what Jesus' response was? I tell you today, salvation has come to this household. Will you make yourself who you are, what you have, available to Jesus and follow him? That's the pathway to your destiny. And you can trust this. He is a promise keeper. If he made the promise, he will keep it. He'll do his part. Now I want to give you a chance to do your part. And that starts with saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to be a follower of Jesus. And being religious is not enough. Being wealthy is not enough. You saw the disciples ask the question, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Because in their thinking, a man as religious as this man and as obviously blessed must have been experiencing the favor of God. But Jesus said, no, we need a work that only God can do. Our salvation is impossible with us, but it's possible with God. Will you let him save you today? Rescue you. He wants to rescue you in every way. He really does. Whatever you're facing, whatever difficulty, I'm not saying he's going to change that circumstance and, and, and everything will just be perfect upon giving your life to Christ. But I am telling you, you're on your way to really being able to receive the fullness of the promises of God. Would you make that decision today? It does, it does call for a, a real conscious decision to follow him. And I want to ask you, if you've never received Christ, or if you've been with Christ before but wandered from him and are coming back, to pray this prayer along with me right now. Just repeat it out loud, wherever you are, whoever you're with, and all of you together in a room, repeat this out loud to encourage those among you who maybe haven't prayed to receive Christ yet. But right now, God's going to do something fantastic. So repeat these words after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus died, that he was raised from the dead, and he is Lord. Forgive me of all my sins and be the Lord of my life. I turn from my sin. I turn from self. I give myself to you, God. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me one of your children. I hope that you have been blessed and that whatever promises God has made to you, that you take this time to remind yourself of them and to stir up your faith a little bit. I heard a pastor say one time, don't ever doubt in the darkness what God has promised in the light. Believers, a lot of you have received a lot of promises and God is faithful. It might be a dark time, but let me tell you, the light of God's glory is coming. He is a way maker, miracle worker, 
promise keeper. Please join us next week. It's going to be a powerful time. Share this with as many people as you can. And we look forward to our next time being together. God bless you. Thank you for being with us on this podcast of Victory Church Philadelphia. Because this is being posted at the time of the coronavirus outbreak, we're not able to meet in large gatherings in person. So we're taking the opportunity to relaunch our regular podcasts. You can expect new sermons to be posted by Tuesday of each week, and we'll also be going back into the archives for messages that will be posted on Thursdays. If this message has been a blessing to you, we'd be most thankful if you would like it and then share our podcast with others. You can find out more about Victory Church Philadelphia online at www.getvictory.net or, if it's easier for you, just philly.church. There, you can share your prayer requests with us, and we really will pray for you personally, individually. And you can also let us know if you've recently chosen to follow Christ so we can send a Bible to you. Or, if you've been blessed by our ministry and want to help us reach and serve even more people, you could make a donation. We are a church that loves God. We love and serve our community, and we're here to bless you. Stay connected and stay tuned in for some exclusive interviews and content in coming days and weeks. In the meantime, be blessed.